for the next four weeks, we are going to be sticking here in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to unpack this story. Here, here's a, the main point. Ryan, you can throw it up there for me. The main point. The mystery of Christmas is not found primarily in the circumstances of the birth of Jesus. You got that so far? But in the identity of the baby in the manger. Next slide. Nothing has changed. The mystery of Christmas is not found primarily in the circumstances of the birth of that baby who is found in the manger. But the mystery of Christmas is found in the identity. Who is this baby? If we could just focus on who is this baby, man, that is a foundational truth that we're going to be unpacking. And the mystery of Christmas is not found in, in the angels or in the shepherds or in the stable or all these other things. It's about who is this child found in the manger. It's not in the circumstances. It's not in the, all the trappings, but in the identity of the fact that God, what a re- colossal reality it is, would become a baby. I love the fact that we got a, a noise-making child right now. Because that is the reality. How Christ came into our world. Away in a manger. How does it go? He is a very quiet baby, isn't he? The reality is that Christ came into this world crying, screaming, bedwetting, that needed to be taught, changed, and fed, that was dependent upon His own creation, the One who created them. He is dependent upon their hand to nurture Him, sitting there with nothing to do but lie there and coo and stare like little children. And this is the reality of our God who became that. What? This is what the mystery of Christmas is all about. So we have to ask the question, who is Jesus? We have to ask that question. Who is the baby that is in this manger? Because that is, if we can answer that huge question, it will affect how we look at our world. It's a huge question with all kinds of question, realities. It's, here, here's one thing. This is a, a historic question. It, the early church, ever since the beginning of the church, ever since then, you have people who are debating the identity of who this baby is. You guys got, have guys like Apollos and Athanasius and Arius. These guys who were debating in the early church history about who is this Christ. Is He God? Is He man? Is He both together? Is He fully God? Fully man? Part God? Part human? How does this all work? So it's a historic question. And there's a historic divide. There's even a historic divide that is wedged between Judaism and Christianity. It's grounded in the identity of who Christ is. But it's not just a Judaism and Christianity thing. It goes across the board. 
Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarians, and even Muslims. It's a historic question. Who is Jesus? But it's also, secondly, it's an important question. In fact, I think it might be the most important question of all of Christianity. Because if Jesus is actually God, if this baby really is God, then this makes sense of the entire New Testament. It helps us make sense of all of the Old Testament and even more so all of the New Testament. Think about it. It's a staggering claim of who this is. If Jesus is actually God, then it makes complete sense that He would be able to walk on water, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. He may, if He is God, He made water. He can walk on it. If Jesus is really God, is it really surprising that he, was, he would be able to take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people? Should it shock us that He's able to do that? No! He made the loaves. He made the fish. He even made our stomachs who were enjoying and partaking in that food. Is it surprising even when you come to the resurrection? Think about it. When you realize that Jesus is God, then the staggering thought is not that He rose from the grave. The staggering thought is that He even died. It makes complete sense that He rose from the grave claiming who He is. What astonishes us is the fact that God in flesh actually died. And this truth, this truth, changes everything it turns everything upside down but here's one more awesome thing it it, the question of who is this jesus it is an awesome question and it's an awesome question i fear that we take way too for granted in the church man if we would get that jesus is actually god and understand what he has done Oh, the singing in this place, how it would change. And some of you are going, I think we sing pretty good. But if we would get it, how awesome this Jesus is, this 1903 building would have uh, an earthquake of its own. It would be shaking as we understand who He is. We would be in awe of that. But it's also this question of, Who is Jesus is a personal question. And I want you to hear today that this truth that we are going to look at has ramifications for every man, every woman, and every child here within earshot. Every single one of our lives hinges on this question of who is Jesus. It matters for you this morning that you're hearing this message. Because it matters how you are going to answer who is Christ? And how do I respond to that? So my friends, we're going to read, hear the Word of God, and I'm going to encourage you to stand for the reading of Philippians chapter 2. Would you please stand? I'm going to be reading verses 5-11, through and you are going to hear for the next four weeks, 
Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. My friends, hear this word as it is the word of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was made in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and that is under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, this is what is called a Christ hymn. It is believed by uh, many historians, biblical theologians, that this is a song that they would actually sing as a church. Because it was a confession of their faith about what they believed about who God is. This morning we are going to be focusing, or I want to kind of bring you back. This even speaks about what our attitude is, right? In Philippians 2, verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as, the same as Christ Jesus. So it has implications about how do we live. But what I want us to unpack is answering the question of, who is Jesus? That's the first thing that we've got to get our, our heads wrapped around is, around is, who is this Christ? And in light of who is this Christ? Who is this child? What child is this? From that flows our attitude. How we live. And it's dangerous to get the two flip-flopped around. We should never start off with, well, you got to do this, you got to do that. Many of us have been to churches like that our entire life, haven't we? Where you get kind of the finger wagon, don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance with girls, don't play cards, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. But we, we divorce it from who is the one that we worship? Who is the one that we have given our lives to? And in light of that, He directs the way that we live. So all of this is talking about this child who is in that manger. And I want to see four truths over the next four weeks as we unpack these four different pictures of who Christ is. Today we are going to look at Jesus as God. In the, the very start of this passage, I, I, am, I am entitling this message, The Hope of Glory. The Hope of Glory. And we're going to see how it unfolds. But let's look at verse 6. Talking about Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God Jesus being in the very nature of God did not account equality with God as something to be grasped this this obviously sets Jesus apart from everybody else who has ever walked on the face of the earth there is nobody like this man nobody like this child he is not just your ordinary Joe that appeared on the baby scene 
He's not like that. He's not your normal baby. This is someone who is the very nature of God. He is God. And what does this mean? What does it mean for Jesus, a little baby, to be God, born in the flesh? Well, what I want us to do is I want us to turn to the Gospels. And I want us to look at John chapter 1. So if you were uh, following directions and you kept your finger in there, turn to John chapter 1. And I, I want you to see how John starts off the Gospel. It's not like Luke chapter 2. You know, Luke starts off with kind of this away in the manger kind of scene where the angel announcements and all that kind of stuff comes pouring onto the scene and we got Mary and Joseph and the baby comes and the wise men later on come to the scene. John does not start off like that at all. John tells us the, a different version of the Christmas story. So listen to how John chapter 1 lays out who is this child. Listen to John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the, light, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about this light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He whom I said. He comes after me, ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who was at the Father's Father's side. He has made Him known. So John is giving us a picture that helps us unpack Philippians 2, verse 6. It, It helps us see this baby that we so desperately as a people need to see. So there's there's four things that we see about this baby and, and here's the first one right right he is the word of god what in the world does that mean in the beginning was the word and the word was god and the word was with god he was with god in the beginning what does it mean that he is the word of god over and over and over and over again in the old testament the word 
is the picture of how God reveals Himself to His people. How God reveals His power. It literally means God's self-expression. If you see an artist and they are painting a picture of themselves, they often look at a mirror, right? And then they express it through canvas on, on, with acrylics or what, whatever they use, right Jenny? What, they, they do it somehow. And through the Old Testament, God is saying, this is the Word who is made flesh. And He is the Word of God. He is revealing who I am. I want you to think about that for a second. The Word of God is His own revelation. It is His own self-expression. The expression of Himself. So as we begin to think about the identity of Jesus Christ, what we are seeing unfolding is the fact from the start of the book in John is the fact that there is a self-expression of who? Of God. He is a self-expression of God. Jesus is the very revelation of God. He is God revealed in the flesh. In a baby. This is God. His self-expression is found naked, lying in a manger. The Word was with God. So Jesus obviously had a relationship with God. The Word was God. Jesus was God and is God. So you come to the end of John chapter 20. Come to the end of this Gospel with Jesus revealing His divinity, His holiness, His godness with all of His words and all of His deeds. Obviously, the things that He did, whether it be raising His hand and calming the the winds and the waves, whether it be feeding 5,000 people, performing miracles after miracles, or healing people, or bringing people back to life as He did in John chapter 11, which obviously shows that Jesus is full of power and authority, which is a picture of God. He is the very revelation, the self-expression of God. Jesus is is God, and we see over and over that He is the Word of God. You see it in Mark chapter 2. Jesus healing the paralytic and claiming to have authority to forgive him of his sins. Hebrews chapter 1, you heard Pastor Lear talk about this last week, right? It says that He is the radiance, the radiance of God's glory. Colossians chapter 2 says the fullness of God A God who is boundless. Jesus is the fullness of God. The fullness. A God who cannot be caged in. Has no boundaries. But in this child, the fullness of God dwells. Think about that. Think about that. You want to talk about an awesome question? A boundless God somehow, in His boundlessness, somehow chooses to have His fullness in a baby. It's like paradoxical, right? It doesn't make sense. But it's an awesome question. 
We also see that in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And do you know what happens at the end of the book of Revelation? You hear those same words, and Jesus says it. He rises up and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning of the end. So Jesus is the self-expression of God. But not only is He the, the Word of God, He is also the author of life. I want you to look at this, this passage. and I want you to kind of turn, if you can, if, if not, that's alright. Turn to your right to uh, Colossians chapter uh, 1. Colossians chapter 1 has these, some amazing verses that give us a picture of who this is. Now, John chapter 1 has said, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. In Jesus, in this child, is the life. It's found life. All of life is summed up into Jesus. So Colossians 1 unpacks it even more for us. Colossians 1 verse 15, these, these amazing verses helps us think about all of the universe, everything in creation, including every single one of us. Verses 15 through 17 here. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all of creation. For by Him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible things. Invisible things. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him. So think about this. This baby in a manger. All things were created by that baby in a manger. He has this power. This baby. Fullness of God found in Him. And in that baby has the ability to create all things. All things were created by Him. And they were created ultimately for Him. I created it. It's for me. All things. He is before all things and in Him all things are even held together. Do you realize what kind of a, a mammoth truth this really is? That all of the universe with its billions and billions and quadrillions of miles and planets and stars and suns and moons and galaxies. Everything is held together by this child who is in a manger. Think about that. This baby that we kind of push off to the side and put Santa in the foreground and buy Christmas to keep, happy, keep our family happy with, it's ultimately about this baby who is the fullness of God, who is the Word of God, the revelation of God, is able to hold all things together. The identity of this baby. He is the author of life. He's the author of your life. The author of life is now in a baby in a manger dependent on the creation that He has made to even sustain His life. You wrestle with that and you're going to get a headache. This, this baby is the author of life and he holds all things together. But not only that, number three, he is the light of the world. If you go back to John, it was John the Baptist talking about 
he himself was, I'm not the light. I only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man is going to be coming into this world. In other words, it's like, get ready for the pyrotechnics. Jesus is coming, and He is the true light of the world. And if you do a study of, of the word light throughout the book of John, you will see riches unfold. This idea that Jesus is actually the light of the world. In a world, in a world for that we experience that is often dark and depressing and dingy and painful, we hear that Jesus is actually light. In a dark world, when Jesus comes into the scene of your life personally and into our lives corporately, when Jesus comes into the scene, light comes into the scene. And you know what happens when light comes onto the scene when there is tremendous amount of darkness? If it is pitch dark, just, just one light, what happens? It has a way of dispelling the darkness. This light penetrates. It drowns out the darkness. Your attention gets focused in on this light as opposed to the darkness. Even in the darkest room, one light, one candle lights up and and all the attention is drawn to that one light. He is the very light in the midst of our darkness. He is the author light of, of this world and He is the light of the world if you are finding yourself in a dark dark place who do you turn to the one who is the the light of the world god help me to see open my eyes bring light to this dark place in my life but not only that jesus is lastly he is the hope of glory You have that where the Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. He has seen, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, who is full of grace and truth. And John 1.14, where it says that the Word made its dwelling among us. I love getting into the original language because what it is literally saying is that Jesus tabernacled with us and some of you are going that means absolutely nothing to me that's a word that's not even in my lexicon but this this word tabernacle is the same word used in the old testament to refer to the the temple or the tent of meeting where god met with his people in the midst the people would be all gathered around they would have their own tents all around and there in the middle of the people of God, God would meet in a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, which was a place where the glory of God dwelled. Light would shine in. And the, the tent would glow. The temple was a place where God dwelled with His people. Where they, they would come to encounter the glory of God. They would come to the temple. They would The same thing that that would, they would come to when it comes to the tabernacle, where God's presence was, was revealed. That's how they encountered His glory. So when we see the picture of a baby coming to earth, John tells us that the Word became flesh and He tabernacled with us. You used to go to the, the temple. You used to go to the tabernacle to experience the glory, the presence of God. Now come to this baby. 
come to this baby and see the glory of God. And we get to behold it. We get to be able to experience it right here. The glory of the one and only means that this is a unique Son. There will not be another one like Him. The the unique Son is in a manger. Unique Son of God. If you want to see the, the glory of God, don't go somewhere else. You don't go to the tabernacle anymore. It's a call to come to Jesus. Come. See Him. You want to experience the power and strength of God? Come to the One who is dwelling amongst us. And the beautiful thing is, is for those who are in Christ Jesus, God doesn't just dwell out there. Colossians says, Christ in me. Christ in me. Think about that. Really. Think about that. Christ in me. The hope of glory. A child who is bound by sin has the fullness of God who is boundless. The fullness of God is in that child. And that child is our life. And He is the that we so desperately need. And in Him is found power. Strength for today. Hope for tomorrow. So those are some thick, theological, biblical truths. And it's easy for me as a pastor to just to kind of have this heady experience of just saying, oh, that was amazing. But we have to ask these amazing take these deep theological, biblical truths and say, so 